Welcome to Tabletop Game Talk On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. I'm Kitty. And, and I'm Chris week- again. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to skip it, man. <laughs> Threw me off. <laughs> this week, we're responding to an article on Polygon by Charles Steele, exclaiming that crowdfunding is killing board game expansions. Is this true? Does getting all of the expansions at the same time as the base game affect the quality of those expansions and the long-term quality of the game? Or is the exact opposite allowing expansions to be released in supplemental campaigns, bringing more attention to the base game and increasing player engagement? It's probably somewhere in the middle, but that would make for a pretty dull podcast. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, and the Gift of Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Two of those four people are in our live audience, which you should absolutely do. (laughs) You should be (laughs) in our live audience as well, so you can distract me with drawings of rockets. Um, Also, (laughs) thank you to all of our other patrons as well. I really love that Miles... Actually, we have Miles and Rodolfo. Rodolfo? Yes. Stop trying. I'm going to say that. I'm going to stop trying. (laughs) But we've, like, from literally the other side of the planet. But also, they're not anywhere near each other either. So we're all, like, millions of miles apart from each other, um, depending on how you go. So if you you have to actually kind of take a trip around the sun. But anyway, um, everyone's joining us. They're in the future from us. So, you know. They are in in the future. Like, time (laughs) and space makes no sense in live podcast recording, which is probably truer than... Yeah. Um, so that was my plug for joining us live. TabletopGameTalk.com slash live. Mondays, 8.30 Central Time. I do not know what that is Australian time right now, but I'm fairly certain that there's two different Australian time zones. So even saying Australian time is... Nope. <laughs> Miles says there's only one Australian time zone. There's no, the right I think one. there's says, more than more than two. <laughs> <laughs> there's oh, is that oh he says all right, fine. More than two Australian time zones. In any case, <laughs> I have just culturally offended there the, are an three. entire continent. <laughs> three time zones. The US is still winning yeah, we the have, number of time zones. We have to we, take our victories where we can because we yeah, are not We technically have five. <laughs> so yeah. Thanks, Hawaii. Yeah, and then we have a bunch of minor time zones in there. There's some states that are like, no, we don't know, we don't do the daylight savings thing. Yeah, Arizona. Yeah, well, Way there's one state contrarian. Yeah, Indiana, part of the state doesn't do daylight savings time. So yeah, so let's see. We have today, tomorrow, and New Zealand. Okay, I like that. <laughs> <That's easy. laughs> What I don't understand is why Miles is holding up sticky notes to the camera as opposed to typing in chat, but I'm not going to question him. <laughs> Just join us live and, and you'll get part of all of that. Um, I do have a – speaking of live, I have a few other things to talk about. Um, this week – well, over the last couple weeks, we've gotten word that – uh, Gen Con and Origin are happening uh, later than usual, so we're looking at sub- – September, October, I think September for Gen Con, October for um, Origins or something like that. Anyway, does not matter. That's neither here nor there. But there have been a number of big companies that have been pulling out of Gen Con. Uh, Fantasy Flight and I believe Simon are two of those bigger companies I've been pulling out. Fantasy Flight is the one I'm focusing on right now because one of the reasons we go to these big conventions is so that we can do Keyforge tournament stuff. So... Gen Con is September 16th through the 19th. See, that's how easy it is when you type it in chat. Um, so, 
So there's going to be no Keyforge, like Fantasy Flight Keyforge at this event. So what ended up happening is uh, my wife, Sydney, she's on Help from Future Self, which is a Keyforge podcast and incredibly active in the online Keyforge community. And Archon's Corner, which is another uh, podcast that she's tangentially part of, um, not on the podcast yet. I don't know why she hasn't been on that podcast yet, but in any case, um, they are actually doing their own Keyforge convention in July in Madison. I'm going to stop saying <laughs> you sound words You super now. confident Well, about this that is one. all. this is all just like, Announced and happening. So it's the late July in Madison. I will give you guys more information as things go on. Um, but just, yeah, Keyforge Live, this is coming up. So if you're into Keyforge and you're looking for a Keyforge, like a, a big Keyforge gathering, um, plan to be in Madison. I think it's the last weekend in July, but I will, uh, you know, I'll let you know later. And Sydney is literally texting me right now. Um, also, Speaking of live, but the opposite of that, Fletcher's not with us. Um, <laughs> that makes right. it sound like Fletcher died. Fletcher did well, not die. Fletcher has a headache. <laughs> oh, oh right, 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 right. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you just skipped over it. You're like so in the show notes. I had to just add Fletcher to our show notes. So <laughs> I hope he's listening and I hope he realizes... I am the one who's like, hey, our listeners <laughs> should probably get an update on why we're doing the intro weird. Oh, right. That's true. That's true. It's, Fletcher's our anchor. He keeps us, well, he keeps pulling us down and pulling us back. And that's so probably not sorry the best about metaphor. this episode. <laughs> it is going to be up there. <laughs> yes. Um, also, Matthew has confirmed that Origins is September 30th through the October 3rd. And so I was right on both accounts. Um, but I'm also right to say that. Fantasy Flight is not going to be part of Gen Con. I don't think they're going to be part of Origins either. Um, I don't know that I've seen that official announcement, but um, YouTube update. I'm going to start doing this because I'm really starting to push our Tabletop Game Talk YouTube channel, which is basically just me talking. I was going to um, say, our channel is a very generous <laughs> I know, I know. description. And, and that's why it's Tabletop Game Talk with Chris Steele, because A, it's decent branding i guess but it's also just hey it's not all of us but i'm i i'm working on getting uh intros and outros well the outros will definitely reference back to the podcast but um i have a cool studio set up in my basement now i am one piece of equipment shy of having a complete good to go thing and yeah i'm just playing around with it it is really hard to talk by myself i really wish that kitty lived in the same building or fletcher lived in the same building and then we could just like get together and it's so much easier to talk with people but i'm working on it i will get better i promise and at least the quality is getting better if the content is not all right ready chris just take a screenshot all right done print that out Okay. Put it behind the camera. <laughs> You're good. I'm there. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's a lot of what I do <laughs> during the podcast. Uh, I just interrupt you some occasionally. But that's it's it's still it feeds it feeds my I don't know it feeds something. It's just I'm <laughs> I'm way more boring when on YouTube. So watch the YouTube channel because it's just tedious. And nothing but me. <laughs> it is not talking in a non-energetic way. Going, hi, my name is Chris Steele. 
I talk about games. I will but, say the thumbnail for the Railroad Inc. video makes you look uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Because that the not the drunken one, the one the play along one. The play along, yeah. Yeah. Um, it also looks me look super washed out. I got to fix that. Um, you look very washed out and a little constipated. <laughs> a little bit. Well, I was thinking. I, I'm like, hmm. But yeah, it does look a little constipated. <laughs> thinking and constipation are very similar things. So I'm just saying. Um, Someone should have told we're done. Yeah. Speaking of, there will be some Patre- Patreon exclusive content going forward. Because I'm not certain I want to release this to the internet yet. I'm not saying it'll be exclusive forever. I'm saying it'll be exclusive until I decide to release it to the wider world, which is Drunken Chris dot dot dot. Um, the first one that's up there is Drunken Chris Reads the Rules to Railroad Inc. And I think in the pre-show, they've convinced me to do Drunken Chris Reviews Terraforming Mars as the next one. So, and these things are not planned. You cannot plan Drunken Chris. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can say Friday and it'll likely happen, but it's not something that you can just be like, it's not on a regular schedule. So periodically, they'll come out. As a, I don't know, I, I want to say reward, but um, <laughs> what I am going to do is, while they won't go live on YouTube, they won't be public on YouTube, a few weeks after I put them on for Patreon, I'm going to post them in the show notes to the podcast. So tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this, if you look at the show notes, you will see a link to a YouTube video, which is Drunken Chris Reads the Rules to um railroad ink and i have it on good authority that the first 10 minutes are okay but the rest of it's hilarious i don't know i can't watch myself drunk while i'm sober (laughs) but when i'm drunk and i watch it it is hilarious so just saying um on to the family friend oh no this this episode is not going to be family friendly although kitty you and i kind of agree on this don't we i don't know i don't want to agree it feels wrong it does doesn't it I don't like it, and I'll do my best to not agree with you as much as I can. All right. I do have one other thing I for, I, I have not been mentioning as much, and that's our 2021 giveaway. If you're not ongoing. In, ongoing. <laughs> so all of 2021, there is no there was no Gen Con live show in 2020. There will be no Gen Con live show in 2021 because Gen Con's being very conservative on who they're letting run events. So as a compromise to get games out of my house, we are just randomly every two to three weeks or so drawing names to pick name pick games off a list. That list is also in the show notes. Um, so if you want to enter, email me and say, hey, I want to enter the giveaway. And then you're entered for the year. If you've already done emailed me, don't email me again. I'll know you're cheating because I literally have a spreadsheet and it'll tell me you're already on it. But otherwise, um, full rules for entering are in the show notes. Uh, the biggest one to know is after I mention your name, you have to contact me within two weeks. And that's pretty much the big one. Um, also, if you are not in U.S. or if shipping is crazy, I you may have to help for shipping. Um, but we'll work on that as on a case-by-case basis. Okay, that's all I want to talk about. Kitty, what are we talking about tonight? So I feel a little bad because Fletcher sent us this article. He did. Like, hey. Check out this article. Um, and this is an article on Polygon. We mentioned that in the intro. Uh, I think we'll have a link to the full article in the show notes. Yes. And click on the link because we're probably going to read the full article in this episode. But still click on the link just so you can, you know, support him. Um, 
And me and Chris had this weird, icky feeling in which we agreed (laughs) on not one, but two things that this article was not representative of what we saw in the hobby and that it would make a good topic. So here we are. All right. Yeah. So I think that's basically it. So what I've done, well, I started, I started like cutting out. I see that you really did a lot here. Yeah, I I basically went through the entire article and highlighted different things that uh, points that he was trying to make, and some of some the points of these are, are in red. You really yeah some of <laughs> yeah some of them are so wrong. I had to put them in red, but I I just want to put some context around this. Um, I'm going to spoil this right off the bat. I really think that and and I want to use his name as much as possible, which is why I. I wrote in the thing. Um, Charles. We're going to say Charles. I really think Charles got a Kickstarter, uh, <clears throat> Bloodborne, and it had a whole lot of content. And he's like, wait a minute. This game isn't as good as I wanted it to be. And the expansions aren't as good as I wanted it to be. So I think that crowdfunding's killing expansions. And I think that he wrote an article essentially saying how, you know, Simon doesn't do good games. And I Maybe. agree. With that, um, and, and there is some. So Polygon, am I correct? It's mostly a video game pu- website publication. Yeah, I think it's. I, I don't actually don't. I think it's just like a, you can anyone can publish articles to it, right? I don't know. Like, I thought it was like, a web a, a video game thing. So if we I go to polygon.com, yeah, there's there's <laughs> a lot of a lot of gaming things here. PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, all gaming. So I guess board games would fall under all gaming. Um yeah, no, Polygon's mostly video games. You are it's absolutely correct. It's mostly video correct. games. Yep. So this feels like a f- somebody who played Catan and some of the classic board games and has them on their shelves, pulls them out, but isn't really part of the board gaming hobby but is a big video game fan. And when they saw a video game tabletop crossover wanted in on it and they are coming kind of from a bit of an outsider's perspective, but also from like the classic side of the hobby. Does, does that seem kind of fair? Kind characterization? Now he does go, he does go deep into a few different games, uh, Battlestar Galactica and King of Tokyo, as he uses those as examples. And don't worry, we're going to get into the article in a few minutes. We just are, are pre-gaming the article. Um, Matthew says that Polygon does video games and pop culture. So that that makes sense. And crowdfunding is as pop culture as you get when you're in that gaming sphere. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's let's just, I'm just going to start, like I said, right, at the beginning of this. You're your crazy here that you've yeah. typed out. At the beginning of this, I, I kind of dot, dot, dotted a few things and then just put the highlights. And then later on, I just start putting the whole article in there. But um, so this is the start of it. The churn of the new campaigns has become primarily a marketing framework for design studios to push mounds of plastic and cardboard at an ever-increasing price point. Publishers are taking in millions of dollars. Gamers' shelves are reaching a breaking point. But it's the games themselves that suffer. The biggest victim of all? Board game expansions. So that's essentially how this article starts. Kenny, I don't think you disagree with the very first sentence here. No, I do not disagree with the first sentence. Um, mounds of plastic and cardboard, ever-increasing price points. But I will say I don't agree with um, publishers as a whole. I think this is a certain subset of publishers, which are probably the most well-known and biggest Kickstarter campaigns, but it is not by any means all of Kickstarter. 
Yeah. I would say at any given point, uh, there's anywhere from, well, it, it's hard to measure this because different campaign lengths, but at any given point, ending within the next seven days, this is our experience and we were doing our Kickstarters, um, there's anywhere from six to 18 Kickstarters ending in every seven-day <laughs> period. So let's just say there's every week there's a dozen Kickstarters on average. One, maybe two of them are in the realm of mounds of plastic and cardboard. Mm-hmm. Most of them are your indie smaller game projects that you would expect to see on a Kickstarter platform. So, And this is just talking about like, real board games. This is not talking tabletop games, because when we covered Kickstarter, we rarely went into, there's so many accessories and um, settings and role-playing accessories. And this is just board games that we are discussing on Kickstarter. Because there's a ton of content that we, like, that's out there that won't get covered. Yep. And and I would say, like, that's a great point, because right now, biggest victim of all board game expansions. So he does specifically say board game expansions, but I would also just emphasize that role-playing expansions are certainly benefiting from Kickstarter. Uh, mm-hmm. The num- uh, the amount of, like, D&D 5e uh, things that are using, like, settings. the open gaming license settings and oh, stuff, yeah. like, they're doing very, very well, and they're very, very good. Like, it's it's a quality, quality market there. So that's how he starts off. And right there, I personally get my, what what's the things like you the hairs? Already, hackles. Like, Your hackles are hackles. up. Hackles. Yeah, my hackles are up. I'm like, <laughs> okay, bud, let's do this. So uh, he goes on. Pre-crowdfunding, a board game would come out. Players would react and give feedback. And then the publisher would follow suit with an expansion if demand warranted. I'm already reading it in a, like a salty way. I know you've got. A tone. <laughs> Do I need to start reading? No, no, no. I, I got this. I got this. Okay. This was a this was a lengthy process, and some games would not see new content for a couple of years. The industry was slower then, and keeping up was more like drinking from a faucet than a fire hose. The delay between initial product and follow up extensions. He said extensions, but I think he meant expansions. Gave the design team ample time and energy to craft something meaningful and inclusive of players' feedback. Okay, so, Kitty, you go first. I need to take a breath. <laughs> um, so, before Kickstarter, and honestly, even now, I don't buy expansions. And I don't <laughs> care about them. And I don't think they carefully take in feedback and... Um, invigorate new games and have these lengthy creation processes. For me, expansions have always kind of felt like a money grab from the very beginning. How can Settlers of Catan get you to buy more things? <laughs> Let's make it like six new expansions. I will say that like the first expansion where it was um, just more players, it was pieces for a five and yeah, six five player six expansion. Players. Great. We loved that. We have a six-person family. Everyone can play. Great. Any of the rest of those expansions, never bought. Actually, no, I bought a couple, and they were complicated, and they didn't make sense. I didn't like them. I would have rather played a different game that included those rules from the beginning, because trying to shove new rules into an old rule set felt complicated and broken to me at the time. And that was a long time ago. I am sure if I revisited these things now, I would feel differently, but... 
that is my my take on expansions is i've never been a big fan of them uh john does say cities and knights makes the game better and i i think i agree any one expansion is probably okay uh all of them is unnecessary I think we had the seafarers and something and then uh, seafarers is is okay but I agree, 100%. And I think that Catan is an example that I would not have come up with, but it is the perfect counterexample to this. Money grab's a big word. I don't tend to like using it, but re... I didn't say it was. I said it <sighs> felt like. I'm yeah. only able to tell from my perspective, I am one skewed individual. Feel free to disagree with me. <laughs> I know. I don't know that I have. And I know a better, Chris does. <laughs> I don't know that I have a better phrase though. Like it is certainly monopolizing or commoditizing, or it, it's taking advantage of the success of Catan. Like if you put yeah. out a board game and it's super popular, you have a bunch of players that are looking for more content. So putting out more content is catering to those players. It is not making the game better. Catan is a fine game. And most people who came into the hobby through Catan have very, very fond memories of it. If you play Catan today, you probably can still have fun. There are other games that do what Catan does You might have to try. Well, <laughs> According to I Chris's mean, face. Ooh, I, I, still, I, still enjoy, I still enjoy it. I played it so much on the app, though, that like I can't really play it in person because I can play a 20-minute 20 20 game on the app. And a two-hour game in person, it's, like, it's more of a commitment in time-wise. But it is... You know, it is a good game, and I totally understand, but the expansions didn't fix things of it. Um, <laughs> John is playing Catan on, right? Well, no, that's a picture of him playing Catan. <laughs> yeah. I just, it just changes the game. It doesn't fix the game. There are very few times where expansions fix the game. And he goes into that. So let's quickly uh, skip the... Well, I'm not going to skip. I'm going to say it. Uh, When a title actually hits the market and finds its way onto a couple of thousands news tables, inevitably, unidentified rough spots and issues will be discovered. Erotic gets published, and subtle new rules and um, alterations get uh, feathered in. So basically what he's saying here is, when you put this out to the public, the public is going to have a reaction. I do not think... And, and this is the other thing, too. I think you hit a nail on, I think, pre-Kickstarters 15 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. yes, things have probably gotten worse in the last five to 10 years. But I don't know that this was actually that big of a thing. I don't know that people were going to the internet. Like, just your general Catan player was not going to the internet to find out a fix for, you know, bad die rolls, right? Like, that wasn't happening. And so, and I don't think that was happening in, if there was a RADA, and you were on the internet anyway. You would just download that errata. Uh, he, but he goes on. And um, the two paragraphs kind of go together. This has been handled fairly well the past few decades. Fantasy Flight Games, for instance. And I will say this is Fantasy Flight of the past. I can do an entire rant. Drunken Chris talks about Fantasy Flight Games. <laughs> on where Fantasy Flight is going now, which is not in a positive direction. But, also side tangent, I do really like what they're doing with Arkham Horror, the card game. But that's, you know, go Google that. Um, So Fantasy Flight Games, for instance, has been known to include cards with errata inside feature-rich expansions. This is an outright blatant lie. They may have been known. They may have done this (laughs) twice. But this is not a standard for this company. It's also shown a track record for massaging the weaker points of its designs, such as adding the Cylon Fleet Board in the Exodus expansion for Battlestar Galactica. This is true. The Exodus expansion did have a Battlestar Asylum fleet board. 
because they had to add something. It also added the stupid um Pegasus. Well, the Pegasus expansion added the stupid Pegasus ship, which added nothing to the game except for longer <laughs> play times and more annoying things you had to do. So just because they released one expansion that fixed one thing I might not have liked, they released two other expansions that more compli- complicated things that weren't broken in the first place. So they're hit or miss. You can't just say that expansions are for the best. Like we just talked about with Xan. Again, I need to take a breath. You're up. I I feel like he's talking from very personal experience and then broadening it to greater trends in the industry. And I think it's just really easy to kind of blame Kickstarter for everything you don't like about board games. And I know I've done this. At times. I know. I was going to say, I, that's you know how I, easy it is. <laughs> I know how easy it is because I don't like gigantic, huge board games with tons and tons of miniatures. It's not my style of game. And, you know, I've really kind of come around to as long as these games are drawing people's attention to crowdfunding and enabling people to come to the platform to see these other games that are out there. I mean, it's a positive. It's it's net good for us getting better games. I'm sure it's harder on some independent publishers to be able to get these kind of high production value seeming Kickstarters out there. But honestly, the more I've been involved in the Kickstarter world, the more I've seen low-budget, independent games where somebody has passion and a good idea, make it through. And it might not always work. And, you know, I don't know, me and Chris could like give our services as like, if you would like to launch a Kickstarter, please, we will look at your page. We will be Kickstarter consultants and tell you like, fix these 10 things before you go live and you will be much more successful. Like I have looked at more Kickstarters then I, I could count. Yeah. And there's the, the, the average gamer by far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think you're right. I think that this is blaming Kickstarter for something and really looking at games that got better with certain expansions and also blaming the fact that they weren't Kickstarter as to the reason why they got better. Like Fantasy Flight doesn't use Kickstarter. But they also, not every expansion is is great. Uh, now, there are certain things, there are definitely benefits to doing things over time and getting feedback and learning from, you know, lots of people playing your game. But that's that's different because Kickstarter still does that. So often we see expansions that get released so that the base game can be reprinted and those expansions are taking into consideration player feedback. I was just going to say, if you look at Kickstarter right now, I just scrolled through barely 15 minutes of scrolling through Kickstarter before we started recording. I saw at least three expansions and reprints that are separate from their original campaign. I can think of several others off the top of my head where I know I backed the Windward expansion in Big Box and... I'm expecting it to come. I backed that a year and a half after I backed the original game. It was not, oh, I backed Windward and I got three included campaign expansions in my game. No, I backed Windward and I really enjoyed it. And when I saw new content come up for it on Kickstarter, I backed it because I wanted more Windward content. And do I know it will be good? No, it might be bad. I don't know. 
I'm kind of just hoping that there's more storage in the big box that I can fit my regular pieces in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there and there, like I said, there were like three of them that I saw just today. And that was not like sorting by my normal means. That was just like, what's recommended to me today? This yeah. isn't all of Kickstarter. He's he's commenting on like a subset of a subset. Yeah. Well, and he uses another example of the positive here that's not a Kickstarter. Another example of responsive design is with the excellent King of Tokyo expansion, Power Up. Now, I will say that King of Tokyo played without Power Up makes no sense. Um, so I agree that this expansion is a must-have. This addition to the popular... Could you, could, big monster fighting kaiju. dice rolling kaiju <laughs> dice rolling added asymmetric <laughs> player powers to each of the combatants providing for a new flavor and personality to the design besides increasing characterization this also fixed an issue where rolling hearts on your dice would often be underwhelming and he goes on as to how this expansion fixed the the game i will say that it didn't fix the game it made it more of a gamer's game for the people that found base king of tokyo maybe too easy too simple right um and this game was designed to be a casual game it wasn't designed to be a gamer game so was the power up expansion a fix no the game was selling like gangbusters and people loved it (laughs) it was an addition it was hey let's see if we can bring in another segment of the audience to you know try to do this and i would bet i do not know but i would bet that the power-up expansion was designed or at least being thought about by the designer long before the game came out, as most of these expansions are. And that is a key thing that I'm going to come back to a couple more times probably, is that most of these expansions that we see is coming out you know, a year later, two years later, they were part of the original design and they were peeled away from the original design to simplify the base game. It wasn't just, here, let's tack on this extra thing so that we can make more money and put a bad expansion out there. There are exceptions, but most of them. I was going to say, I think in modern games, yes. In the original, like, back-in-the-day games, it really did feel like these expansions were eh, designed independently of the design of the base game. And now it seems like they are much more designed in conjunction, like, at the same time. Um, and, and there's, there's a very different feel between an expansion that was kind of always meant to be part of the game that like the designer always had in mind. And it feels like someone who came in after the fact and was like, oh, this is doing really well. We need to expand on it. Yeah. And there are some I mean, games that lend themselves much better to expansions. Yeah. And, and I knew, especially like, um, card games and stuff where, Obviously, adding more cards adds more variety, mm-hmm. so it's easy to add an expansion. I believe it was Core Worlds, where in the first set, there was a symbol on some of the cards that weren't used. Because <laughs> the designer's like, look, I have this idea for an expansion, and if we do it, I'm going to need these cards to have the symbol on it. But if we don't do it, then the symbol isn't going to harm anything. And the publisher... doesn't hurt it, yeah. <laughs> yep, and the publisher's like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know that I can sign up for printing the expansion, but yeah, we can put this on there because the expansion was already in the works when this went out and they did re they did um, publish the expansion and it did use the symbol from the original cards. And I don't know that this is often seen. Oftentimes it's just kind of, you know, tacked on, add new keywords, new symbols and stuff in expansions, but the designers aren't, especially if it's the same designer, they're thinking about these things ahead of time. Um, there are some cases where this game was a huge hit 
we need more content, design an expansion. Or mostly, this game's a huge hit, we need a solo mode. Uh, so, <laughs> um, Yeah, I will say that, like I said, for Catan back in the day, um, uh, expansions that change player count or change the way things feel for different player counts, I now look at expansions or like, I don't know, is there reductions? <laughs> Games that are trying to... Um, put out new content that makes it better for two players. Those kinds of things I will look out for much more than something that is like so much more playtime available in these. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I don't have the space. I don't have the time personally for these giant campaign games. So it's not something that really sells to me. But a campaign game seems perfect to have tons of expansion available from the get-go because it's more story. These are games that are playing in a story and you're just getting more story elements. You're not getting really new gameplay elements and they might involve some of that. But um, I don't know if this is the case with Bloodborne, but I would imagine it is because I've read a ton of these Kickstarters and it seems like it's just more story elements with more characters and more pieces to play those new story elements. Yep. And you don't Bloodborne need... is basically a bunch yeah. of mini campaigns, yeah. So, um, actually, <laughs> he's going to get to a compl- another complaint about Bloodborne in a second if I haven't skipped it. Okay, but cool. um, we're getting to the first <laughs> red paragraph. So this is this is the first one I highlighted in red, and I'm going to read this straight through and try to not add any commentary as I do this. It is three sentences. I can do it. <clears throat> this is how it's supposed to work: colon a game is released and it isn't perfect. Then designers put their heads down and release an expansion, nudging the game that much closer towards excellence. But this virtuous cycle has been occurring less and less in the era of crowdfunding. No, no, (laughs) no. I do not want to go back to the dark age of gaming where let's just release a game that we know isn't perfect and then we can nudge it closer by making expansions. And if you like the game, great. And if you don't like you the game, well, that's fine. You just giving us more money. <laughs> yeah, just keep spending more money. No, it is not supposed to work like that. May what Did it work like that in the past? I don't even think I agree with that. But maybe. Maybe it worked like that in the past. But this is not something to strive towards. So is this um, something, maybe this is just me, it feels like video game design. Much more than it feels <laughs> yeah. like board game design. <laughs> that's- video games, like, look, I mean, like... This has cyberpunk written all over it. Like, we'll just release the bad thing and we'll fix it later. It'll be fine. Like, you know, like patches and upgrades are things that are totally expected of video games. And nobody buys video games on release unless you're looking for the bugs. You know there's going to be fixes that need to be made. There's patches that are going to come out there. I don't think that means that that is good design. Like, just because that's the way it used to work doesn't mean that that was good. And I hate agreeing with you so much. It's creeping me out. Where is Fletcher? (laughs) We need someone else. (laughs) I spent 15 years of my life out of college writing video games from from Fisher-Price plug-and-play titles to AAA titles. And on the AAA side of things, we were just – when I was – before I got out of it, because seriously, it's a life-draining um, profession. Before I got out of it, we just started getting to the point where downloadable content was a thing. But we always 
we're developing with a thing. We have to get this right the very first time it goes out. We don't have a chance to fix this. And until the very last game I worked on, that was how it worked. And we made sure it was as good as it possibly could be. Now, you can push out a game a year early, sell mm-hmm. the downloadable content pass, and say, oh, yeah, we'll just fix these things. And honestly, every single time I turn on my Switch, I'm getting a patch for four different games, yeah. at least. Right? Uh-huh. So, which is fine. They're they're fixing these issues as they come out, and you get the game sooner. But I don't think that that is how it's supposed to work, quote unquote. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to work like that. It's supposed to work when you get it. Like, And then, yes, you can fix it later. But if you build that into your design process, it can be problematic. And I think Kickstarter actually has a pretty good design process because they're like, okay, here's our game as we see it today. It's going to be a year before you get it. It's going to be six months before we send it off to the printer. You have input. You can read the rules. You can see the things. I was going to say, hey, Chris, how many Kickstarters do you back without reading the rule book? Or at least making sure there is one that you could read. I at least make sure there's one I could read. But I <laughs> and I watch like the comment sections on these games are huge and people are constantly oh, yeah. giving feedback. They're constantly making the game better. Now, he does have an argument against that in a moment as well. So, as Kickstarter Let's has come read. to dump Yeah, as Kickstarter has come to dominate the hobby, the status quo is now to launch a full line of products right from the get-go. When finished, Products start shipping and social media is dominated. When, when finished products start shipping, uh, social media is dominated by not stories of praise for gameplay, but vanity shots of box, boxes stacked to towering heights. Now, here he's talking specifically about Bloodborne, which really did come in three full calyx shelf spaces worth of content. And yes, there is a lot of shots of look how much content is here. And, and I agree that some of these things are it's more about having all the stuff than playing all the stuff. So I'm going to I'm going to give him on that one. My next red sentence here. Reacting to feedback and naturally allowing a game to mature over time is a lost methodology. So, again he goes into the Bloodborne example and he talks about the player versus player. And this is where he gets to what I just said counters my point of you're going to get a lot of feedback from your Kickstarter campaign. Well, he's like here they prematurely like they were listening to a uh, uh, commenter, listener, uh, backer feedback about a game go. that nobody had <laughs> played yet, right? So the player versus player came out and it was bad. Well, I would say the player versus player is bad because Bloodborne wasn't meant to be a player versus player game. Yeah. <laughs> and just like a solo game, like a competitive game with a solo mode, a solo mode is not going to live up to the same thing that the game was designed for. It is an optional way to play if you want to. But again, it's just an added thing. Now, here's here's the thing. Here's my counterpoint. Let's say that Bloodborne saw the demand for a player versus player, and they're like, no, we're not going to do that because we don't think we could make a great player versus player with this system. And then it was released. There'd be nothing to complain about. There was no player versus player. So the complaint here is I have this thing I can do, but I don't like the way it does it. Where if it just wasn't there in the first place, I would complain it wasn't there. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not that it stops the complaint. It just changes what the complaint is. Um, But, you know, maybe if they said like, hey, we see this demand for this player versus player mode, we are going to take our time and release this as a later expansion. That is like maybe the one point he has. And honestly, I'm a little shocked that they didn't do that because but i don't know like i've seen most (sighs) most companies actually do see 
I've seen a lot of big companies that are like, okay, we wanted to do a solo mode, but we couldn't do it justice. So we're not going to do it. We will do it in the next expansion Kickstarter. Um, Simon tends not to run Kickstarters more than once. You almost never see a reprint. Marvel United shocked me when they made all of the older content available in the most recent Kickstarter. They, I, I can't remember a time they've ever done that before. So I but get... But with so many other companies, that's kind of the whole point of these expansions, is this is the only way we're going to be able to reprint our original content. We're seeing demand for this original content to be reprinted. So we are creating an expansion for people, you know, because we, we want to keep the people who've already purchased our things purchasing more. But what we really want is to, you know, do this again. So yeah. if you want in on this, you feel like you missed out, here's your chance. And, and I see well, tons and tons of those expansions. Yeah. And and there's some um, talk in our chat right now talking about how using rule books is a better way of fixing a game. Updating online rule books is a better way of fixing the game than expansions, which I 100% agree with. Mm-hmm. And You've actually seen that even with Simon, because this is the company in question that he's referencing a lot for Bloodborne, uh, Arcadia Quest. Arcadia Quest recently, I mean, the, the game hasn't been, there hasn't been a new expansion for that in a couple of years now. But at the beginning of the pandemic, they released solo rules for Arcadia Quest. It's like, hey, this is how you can play them. Um, they also do rules, well, extra expansions and or, uh, scenarios for Zombicide and things like that. So they can actively change the rules to these games. And honestly, for fixing a game, quote unquote, fixing a game, updating a rule book is a much cheaper, easier, and accessible way than releasing an expansion. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know a lot of people who are out there buying the expansions because like, oh, I need to know what the new rules are. They're buying the expansion because they want more content. They want more playability out of the game. They don't want the new fixed rules. That's not why people are buying expansions. You are buying expansions because you want something new and exciting added to the game, not like, oh, I felt like this wasn't great. If you didn't like the way the game was playing before, why are you going to spend more money to play that game? I mean, maybe this is just like... My mindset is like, if I bought a base game and I wasn't enjoying it, there was some reason the rules, it wasn't, you know, making sense to me, wasn't playing perfectly. I'm going to get rid of that game. I'm not going to hold on to it for two years and think maybe, maybe they're going to release an expansion that's going to fix this game. No. Yep. So John mentions with a good point, um, me and Terraforming Mars. I bought Terraforming (laughs) Mars. I was actually, I had one of the first copies. I'm pretty sure I had one of the very first print run copies. And I played it and I didn't like it. And I played it again and I didn't like it. And then I bought the next expansion and the next expansion. And then when the Kickstarter came out, the first Kickstarter came out, um, I think that was uh, Turmoil. I backed it and I didn't like it. And then I just backed the big box with all of the things. And I still don't like it. It doesn't work. Expansions don't fix games. If you don't like a game, you're not going to like the game. Mostly. (laughs) There are a few exceptions, but it usually goes the other way. I played it with the expansion and I liked that game. Rarely are you going to be like, my first impression was terrible, but then they release this expansion that fixes it. Even though I'm told that Prelude fixes everything bad about Paraforming Mars, it doesn't. The art is still crap. The Everything that's going on is still just all over the place. It's so freaking random. It is just... I love the people who love this game. I'm not one of them. So <laughs> this is this is a video. Drunken Chris reviews Terraforming Mars. Um, 
patron. Subscribe to Patreon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get early access, please. Get early access. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be all the rage. So he goes on. Um, and talking about the PvP for Bloodborne, it wasn't carefully considered or informed by backers who actually played the game, and it wasn't intended to refine the overall experience. It was all about offering more content with the goal of bringing in more money. I hate, this is why I, I jumped on or reacted to your uh, cash grab. I hate when people say this. A, of course, of course, people are not making games so they can put their house you know, up for mortgage so they can give you stuff. They're making games because they love doing it, but they also want to make money doing it. Mm-hmm. Anything anyone does, you are essentially, you want to get paid for the work you do. And if you don't want to get paid for the work you do, that's awesome. But nobody should expect you to do something for free. So yes, it is about getting more money. It brought more people in that were willing to get it because there was player versus player. And they made more money from that, probably. Sure, they're a company trying to make games that millions of, well, not millions, but thousands of people does enjoy. <laughs> and I want them to be around to be able to do that. And I want them to make money so they can keep doing that. Simon, whether you d- like or agree or disagree with their Kickstarter approach is indifferent. I don't care. Not all their games go to Kickstarter but a lot of their games I really, really like. And if their games didn't go to Kickstarter, I wouldn't be able to play those games. So yes, it was about making more money, but it was also about giving players the experience they wanted. Like that was the whole point. They didn't need to do a player versus player mode. The players were asking for it. They're so like, okay, this is a co-op game, but fine, we'll give you a way of fighting your guys against each other. (sighs) All right, you need to read the next part. I'm lost. Uh, another clear-cut example, right after the last red. Another clear-cut example is a welcome re- Awaken Realms aliens-inspired title, Nemesis. The base game is a fantastic sci-fi horror board game, but much of the expansion content feels sloppy and flawed. The primary bonus material for backers of the project was an expansion titled Aftermath. This was a clever idea allowing participants to immediately play a follow-up mission whose setup is influenced by the preceding playthrough. But the requirements are horrendous. Very few players have the stamina or will to play two three-hour games back-to-back. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I didn't like Nemesis, the first version of it. Again, this is another highly rated game. And it's not that I didn't like it. I was going to say, tons of people love this game, though. Yeah, yeah, tons of... Who's out there complaining about this game except Chris? (laughs) Well, Charles is complaining about it, actually. Um, About the expansion (laughs) content. Um, I mean, Nemesis actually, again, just to be clear, I think I would really like this game, but it requires a larger group. And it came Mm -hmm. out at a time where I did not have a larger group to play it with. So as I read through the base game, I think there actually was a solo or mode to it. And it just... That part didn't interest me. There's a lot of upkeep and stuff. So I sent it on to a friend and they played it and they liked it. And I trust their opinion on it. Um, But like adding, I don't think you need to play two, three hour games back to back. I don't think that's necessary. You could play one game and like, oh, great. Let's get to better next weekend and and play again. So that kind of. But also like tons of people love to play games for more than three hours at a time. Yeah. Anyone who enjoys what like. Twilight Imperium, any of its iterations, uh, Zaya, name some more here. Uh, well, Gloomhaven. Uh, People who will play Gloomhaven, like maybe it doesn't take that long to play Personario, but if you've set up Gloomhaven, you're telling me you're breaking it down after two hours? 
Yeah. Uh, BS. <laughs> exactly. Actually, Battlestar Galactica is a good example, too. That game takes four <laughs> or five hours. There are tons of people who, after playing a two to three hour game, would say, yes, again, please. And like, just because it's not your personal experience or your personal taste doesn't mean you get to say, and so because of that, this was worthless. <laughs> yeah. Well, which is exactly what he says. So, so this he goes on here. <laughs> yeah. This expansion sits unused, a tremendous waste of cardboard and developer hours. We just determined that they didn't spend any hours doing this, right? Because this was just a cash grab. <laughs> it was hastily sloppy. Hastily and sloppily put together. <laughs> Um, and now that it has made its way into the wild and seen thousands of new playtesters, most would agree that Nemesis needs tightening and a shorter t- playtime, entirely the opposite of what the backers were given. Sure, the backers were giving, given a long game, which is exactly what they were promised. And sure, gamers have a short attention spans and we all well, shorter and shorter attention spans as time goes on and we want shorter games. But that's not what Nemesis is for. It's not for those gamers, right? If you want a long, intense, you know, social, well, hidden traitory type of game, that's what Nemesis is. And I think, you know, you you either enjoy it or you don't. Um, all right. We are running long, so we're going to go through the rest of this and <laughs> summarize. Um, all this excess content is developer, uh, is developed and paid for, but very little of it is being used. I don't think that is an inaccurate statement. I also think that it doesn't matter. Um, For a lot of people who are backing Kickstarters, it's not about using the content. It's about having or collecting the content. We've talked about this before in the distant past, about collecting games as art pieces as opposed to game pieces. And there is something to be... Hashtag shelf candy. I'm still trying to make it a thing. (laughs) Exactly. There's something to that, right? There's something to saying... I really like my my Marvel United. I've taken all the miniatures out of the game and mounted them to my wall because to me <laughs> it is that art. Is, it's art and the game is a separate thing and I like that I can play the game but I play the game with meeples and I put the miniatures on my wall. So this is this is very subjective. Again, I agree that probably very little of it is being used. But um crowdfunding games are no longer expected to eventually arrive in stores as retail products. Yeah. Go back, listen to our old Kickstarter episodes. <laughs> we cover it extensively. Yeah. Not pulling I mean, that out of the vault. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Uh, but not everything can make it to retail, and making it to retail is a whole lot harder than than making it on a pre-order platform. Um, crowdfunded games are no longer expected to eventually arrive in stores. I just meant that. Many of the expansions they come with include additional exclusive miniatures. So this is just kind of a rant on it, Kickstarter has exclusives. Yes, they do. I feel you. And they in- yeah. I hear you on that one. Yep. We and also entice- had a whole episode on that, too. We'll link all these episodes, maybe, Chris. I don't yep. know. I shouldn't <laughs> put more work on you. <laughs> I'm just saying they're there. Um, the exclusives are becoming less of a thing. But if they weren't there, people would argue, it's like, why am I backing this early when I can just wait and buy it cheaper later? Uh because the exclusives are enticing. It's like, hey, we need money to help print this game. We're going to give you something for being an early backer and waiting for a year. Those exclusives are for people who are willing to spend a year without that money, without that game. They get an exclusive as a reward for that. So, Chris, I have um, a little question here about Simon in particular. Um, I know it used to be you 
backed at one level and you would get the base game. And then there were tons and tons of add-ons. But now I've seen more and more, and I think this is Simon, but other companies as well, where it's just, it's all one all-in pledge and you get what comes out. So there are multiple pledge levels that can happen. Okay. So uh, for Simon, there is usually a base pledge. Uh, we'll use Marvel United X-Men as an example. For $65, you get the base game and most of the Kickstarter exclusives. Um, the only exception are when something is added to an expansion, which is an add-on. $100 gave you the base pledge plus the first expansion that was announced. And plus all the Kickstarter exclusives. And then they had a whole bunch of add-ons. Like tons and tons of add-ons. Each one was about $30. At the end of the campaign, they said, okay, great. Here is the all-in pledge, which will give you all of the gameplay content. Uh, usually, there's a few things that it didn't include, like the play mats and stuff like that. Um, which was usually heavily discounted, somewhere between $30 and $50. And so then you have the all-in. So, And not every campaign does this, but... So theoretically, you don't have to get any of the expansions. No, you can. No, you can, just get the back. Just, just back the base game. Yeah, if you back this back the base game for sixty five dollars, you're getting about two hundred and fifty dollars worth of content. And I say two hundred fifty dollars because you can go on eBay right now and see that original content is two hundred fifty dollars to get all those exclusives and extras. And again, the reward is because you backed it early. You spent money early so that it could be printed. I don't think that's a terrible thing. I get it. When you miss out on it, it feels bad. I've been there, and now I have fomoitis. <laughs> but I understand. Yeah, there, are, there are people chatting in our audience who just, John says, he just did the base pledge, and it's still a lot of minis. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a lot of minis. It's a lot of gameplay. If you don't want to commit to, like, I don't know, like, if you want all the things, you can buy all the things. But you don't have to. And I don't think that saying making these things available is killing our industry is fair because if people didn't want them, there's an option out there to yeah. not buy well, them. To be clear, just killing expansions. Killing but expansions, sure. Yep. So he goes, I, I this, don't know. <laughs> his next point is again, numbers. yeah, this next point is a, is a counterpoint to his own argument. Now, <laughs> what if a game has issues, such as Bloodborne, the board game, PvP mode? Since years' worth of content has been pumped out in one foul swoop, backers may not be interested in tossing even more money and storage space at a project in an attempt to fund the solution. You are literally making the argument that expansions are to fix to these games. And you're saying that because these games are so expensive, that someone is not willing to spend more money to fix the solution. On which I call BS because Massive Darkness 2 exists and Massive Darkness was a big steaming pile of blah. Every Awakened Realms game has a 1.5 mode that does three to five times better than the original. Uh, I, I threw Gloomhaven in here because it's Gloomhaven and their initial Kickstarter to their new, their, well, their newest one. You know, it's just if a gamer, if backers like a particular game and something else comes out for it, they're going to go after it. Actually, every chip theory game has had some kind of expansion or, you know, fix for these things. So I feel like he didn't do any math because it would be a lot of work to do this. And like, I don't know. So like you can pull up on Board Game Geek all of the expansions that released this year. And I want to go through and see which of them released at the same year even as their base game versus 
ones that are old. Because my guess is that, like, this is a made-up problem based on <laughs> a few Simon and other like-minded companies on Kickstarter. But they get a ton of press. Yep. I think if you go on Kickstarter and you look at what is on there all the time, you don't see this problem. And maybe that's I- just me. No, no, I, I I agree, and my gut tells me you're right. Most expansions do come out at least a year after the original game, and I think there's be... like three big companies that are pumping out these huge Kickstarters that come with these expansions included. But I also see a bunch of mid-sized to small companies that are putting out these expansions slash reprints all the time, and that has nothing to do with expansions that are available in store that keep coming out for games that are years and years and years old. And I know there are still new expansions coming out for Carcassonne, which seriously, <laughs> there was like a table when I bought one expansion for that game. It had like, how do all of these expansions interact with each other? And it had at least 12 expansions listed and like, hey, here's how this one works with this. If you have the big meeples, if you have the sheep, if you have the pigs, <laughs> if you have the rivers and everything, everything is in there. And like, seriously, if they are still making expansions for that game decades later, is well, they have to are, fix are it. expansions being killed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they have to fix the game, right? Um, yeah. In your so, mind, yes. Because you don't want like the mentions, game. <laughs> exactly. He mentions, instead of reflecting on the design and trying to execute on a refined vision, the design team is worried about expanding the breadth and content with the goal of pulling in more funding. So first of all, I think he doesn't understand how game design works. Because there is rarely a design team. Like, almost <laughs> never a design team. There is a designer, and hopefully there's a developer. But... I would say with Simon, there's probably at least three people. You can call that C- a team. Simon has a design team. And again, he's he's targeting a specific he's companies. He's targeting them specifically. It's a very specific argument he's yeah. making. Yeah. And I think his specific argument isn't necessarily wrong. I think it's when you paint the entire industry with this broad brush where it breaks down. And I, I seriously don't think that there's too much of a problem with the point that he's trying to make. I think he's maybe just applying it more broadly than it yeah. needs to be. Well, and you can tell because one of the next things, um, once a campaign ends, it's often painfully obvious that publishers are already heading in, in the opposite direction and focus on the next project, which I rarely see that as painfully obvious. I, I know that there's a vocal group where ever two Kickstarters are active by the same publisher at once, people get very upset. Like, why aren't you working on this other thing? It's like, well, not everyone needs to work on a single thing. There are divisions and teams within companies that can I focus could on multiple send things. you my automatically filtered and marked as red Kickstarter email folder full of updates that I didn't want <laughs> if you would like <laughs> I get updates all the time for games that have fulfilled already is my favorite where it's like hey we're publishing a new thing have you seen we're working on a new thing it's like I'm done with this <laughs> yeah. but you know well and That's so the next one, and this next one, this, the last thing I have marked in red, and I'm going to read the paragraph here, but the end is really what got me. The alternative is simply not to back these games. Maybe you keep your resolve and you wait until the game properly releases through retail channels. 
which again, why is that the proper way to release it? Retail channels are a terrible way of distributing these types of things. But anyway, you do this and then you realize the game is actually something special, something you want more of. By then it's too late. None of those dozens of expansions make it to retail. And your only option is to hope for a second crowdfunding campaign, which may or may not arrive, or sell a kidney and submit to the scalpers on eBay. There is nobody scalping games. That's not what scalping means. There are people who spent money on a particular game with the intent to sell it later at an increased price. You know what that's called? It's called retail. That's how retail works. Retailers buy games at less than what they sell them for. It makes sense. Now, just because you saw the wholesale price on Kickstarter doesn't mean the person selling it on eBay is a scalper. It means that they took a risk to buy an inventory that they thought people might like, and now they're selling it, giving everyone the opportunity to do that. We actually These probably talked invested, about- These people invested, and yeah. they, I don't know if they always make their money back. I mean, Simon, probably, yeah. But yeah. if they're taking risks on these smaller publications, I mean, people were complaining about people selling Wingspan on eBay. Nobody knew that Wingspan was going to be that huge. And Just it never because, made it to like, Kickstarter. Chris, <laughs> yep. Chris didn't even buy two copies of Wingspan. And he buys two copies of everything. I'm, actually, yeah, you I were did. really mad about it because no, I... Actually, no, I did only, only buy... Yeah, I did you only, only buy bought one, one copy, copy yeah. and it was for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like... This it is okay. You want these people on eBay. You want to be able mm-hmm. to go there and buy the sixty-five dollar pledge for two hundred and fifty dollars because that means you don't have to buy all of the sixty-five dollar pledges. And if one gets through, then you can buy the one you want. You're going to pay a premium for it, but you ultimately are saving money because you're not buying a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't want. So that's right. If you bought three sixty-five dollar pledges, but you turned out to only want the one that you can buy on eBay for a hundred dollars, you saved yourself money. And this person probably bought those three, and they're not making their money back because yeah. other people feel the same way as you. These are people who are taking a chance with their money. Yep. Matthew, Matthew has, I think Matthew disagrees with me and thinks that, (laughs) I'm not, John might too, um, thinks that scalpers, this is scalping. The difference is this. There is no limited quantity on this. When the Kickstarter's out, they will make as many as people are willing to back. With scalpers, they're buying something that they know is limited and they're buying it so no one else can. You can buy this stuff if you want to. Yes, you have to do your research. Yes, you have to buy it a year ahead of time. Yes, you have to do all of those things. But there's nothing stopping you from backing a Kickstarter and, you know, backing a pledge four times so that you can play one and sell three, right? You can still do that. Is it risky for people to do it? I mean, if you have the money on hand. Yeah, if you have the money on hand. You know, like, it is a privileged position to be in to be able to throw that kind of money at the game. But also, you know, it might be people who are taking their hard-earned spending money and taking a chance in this way. So there, there's both sides to it. And I agree that it's not limited. It's not like people who buy up concert tickets and now you can't get concert tickets anymore. The only thing that's limited here is the time frame of the campaign. So if you miss out on the window, that does feel worse than if you chose not to do it. And if you, if you want to be a part of this, you know, system, you know, the, time is what's in there. You can spend your time to do what these same people are doing. You can make the money if you have the money to invest in it. 
but it feels bad on the other side when like, well, I didn't know that I could have backed it at this price and now I have to buy it for this much. Yeah. And having the knowledge is is another part of that puzzle. But yeah, it's yeah. not like Kid Rock concerts <laughs> where he's got a whole anti-scalper system <laughs> going on. Highly recommend the Planet Money episode on scalpers if you're interested yeah. in actual scalping. <laughs> Yeah, well, and Matthew brings up a good point too. He said he he doesn't have an issue with the people who do this. The creators could always sell more of the game post Kickstarter, um, specifically like the Kickstarter exclusive boxes post Kickstarter. There's a good reason they don't do this because, and it's because they know that if they do, they will not make as much money off the game. Um, you have to sweeten the deal. Like if I know that I can get this game cheaper in retail later, because most of Simon's base pledges go to retail. And if I know I can get this game cheaper later, why am I backing it a year ahead of time? So it's still sweetening the, sweetening the deal. Now, Simon specifically does have a lot of their promo stuff that you can get um, at conventions and stuff. They have like, you know, tickets that you can earn through playing games or usually buying other things. So every $25 you spend, you get a ticket that allows you to get to a promo something or other. Um, so there are other ways you can get this stuff, but it's a lot harder than just backing ahead of time. Um, okay, so he ends this with, well, crowdfunding is a wonderful resource for the board game de- and for board game development. It's also become quite the poisonous instrument in the industry. <sighs> it has influenced every single publisher in one way or another. The slow death of the traditional board game expansion is perhaps its biggest crime. And one more, which will continue to affect the way we purchase and consume board games, releases for the foreseeable future. Kickstarter, love it, hate it. Crowdfunding, love it, hate it. However you, that business model, however that works. If you look at the last, in the last 10 years, at the top 100 games released in the last 10 years, the significant portion of them are Kickstarters. Kickstarter is making our hobby better. Crowdfunding in general is making our hobby better. And if there are a few bumps along the way, I totally get it. That it happens. But I I don't think the board game industry would be in the position it is today if it wasn't for crowdfunding. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> John mentions I got games distracted that would never, looking at our catalog. Sorry. Yeah. John <laughs> says games that would never get made are seeing the light of day. And that is true. And that's yes. just true over and over and over. Gloomhaven would have never, ever been released with the traditional resale model. Never. Like, it could not have been released. And and so many games you can look at. Uh, Bloodborne, the board game, as it was released, would have never happened, right? You might have gotten the base game, but even then, maybe not. Maybe not because the license for that is so crazy that you have to be able to make all this extra money on these, you know, side expansions. So, um, another thing I might start doing on Patreon is um, just little blog posts where I might highlight smaller games because every we've talked about this before games that I back on Kickstarter almost always have like less than a thousand backers <laughs> and I love that about them there's so many little gems that I have found where I feel like I am highlighting these little developers who have or designers who have their own little dream and that's just it's so nice to see. And I love some of these games. I love some of these games so much. And they will never be published ever again, probably. And it is because these huge games like this are on Kickstarter that these other games have a chance. 
And th- wow. there is something about that. And we, we've talked many times about there are pros and cons. There are good things that happen on Kickstarter and bad things. But overall, for our hobby, it has done a lot. And you, I don't think you can say it was a net negative yeah. with a straight face. Yeah. <laughs> and I honestly, I mean, I think we've argued it enough that I think Kickstarter <laughs> is better for expansions than it ever has been in the past. Like, ever. Mm-hmm. You know, it just... Because you can put it out there and you can sell more of the base game and you can put out this other expansion that does this cool thing that people have wanted to do, but is not economically feasible to print without having it pre-purchased. All right. So that was um, is Kickstarter Killing Expansions. Uh, yeah, obviously it is. So Kitty, why don't you uh, take <laughs> us out? <laughs> Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. I'm still scrolling to these notes, so give me a second. If you'd like to follow (laughs) us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find a link for that in the show notes, too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the Support Us link. And there's a link in the show notes, too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons. And I do not resent Fletcher for not being here, so I have to read this because <laughs> I appreciate all of our patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Sahara Wentworth, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Milner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbright, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Ann Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verhulst, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keefe, Paul Raymer, Jimothy Ben... Jimothy <laughs> ben Gary. Gary. <laughs> I, I actually it's spelled in here, Gary. Matthew Joke, David Rank, uh, Nicholas Lotz, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Lum, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Funtham, Eric Seelander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Adam, uh, Andrew Fish, Cam McCamel <laughs> Berth, while wow, these are harder as you go through, um, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Dan Seed, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Kelly O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Christopher Pearson, Jason, Jesse, Taylor. What? what? Who? Charles. Charles Pearson? (laughs) Ronald (laughs) Roy, Tony Simpkins, David Garner, and Darren McKellen. Wow, we have a lot of patrons, and I love you all. Thank you (laughs) from the bottom of my heart. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So, Kitty, you canceled D&D this week, so... It was, it was very tired. It's totally cool. Um, totally cool. We So, we don't know what happened with the poor decisions made last week. Um, but I... <laughs> I have another topic to talk about. So, I just want to let people know this isn't D&D. But you just brought up the idea of doing a Kickstarter, an overlooked Kickstarter segment on Patreon. <laughs> Which I'm 100% for, but I think that's something you should share with the wider world. And I would be willing to edit and put that up on our YouTube channel if that's something you wanted to do. You wouldn't have to do it weekly. You just do it whenever you want. We'll turn on a camera and we will do a overlooked Patreon or overlooked crowdfunding episode if you want. You send me the equipment. I'm on it. You already got a webcam. You're looking just fine. (laughs) I mean, 
<laughs> the camera quality is I fine. I am looking anyway. just great. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye, everyone.